God bless you today. It's always a joy to have you here. And, you know, Your $1,000 cannot reproduce until it enters into a covenant with the soul. Baptist Church will picket their funeral. We will remind the living that you can still repent and obey. Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where biblical Christianity meets American evangelicalism face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Glad you're here with us. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of his ministry. May he be with you and us. Tonight, we're going to be doing something unique to the factory studios here in Salt Lake City. We're going to be taking calls tonight. First time calls in the history of Heart of the Matter since we got booted. Uh, anyway, the phone number is going to come up on your screen, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Uh, we open up these phone lines later on, about 25 minutes, and uh, you can talk about anything you want, Mormonism, uh, the topics we've been covering now. Uh, questions about what's happened with the ministry, whatever it is, you're welcome to call in at that time. All right, we're going to uh, open the door tonight to one of the most sinister practices in uh, American evangelicalism today. It's a topic that oddly finds itself replicated in the teachings of Mormonism in some ways. Uh, and uh, it came in on the tale of faith healing. Can you guess what it is? Well, before we go into it, I want to say something. I don't enjoy, I really honestly don't enjoy um, being an iconoclast and taking the sacred little idols that people have in faith and breaking them. It doesn't make me happy. It's like, it's like telling a child that there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> I hope there's no kids watching tonight who believe it. Uh, it's like telling them that because there's no joy in that to see their face deflate. There's no joy in finding people who have their faith placed on Joseph Smith or on faith healing practices uh, that aren't true. Some may be, but some that aren't. Or anything that's not true, it's tough to be able to grab that carpet and rip it out. I don't find joy in that. But I do find joy in leading people to be liberated from those things that hold them bound and into a true and living relationship with God and God alone. Not putting anything in between them. So... Uh, I think that the divergences that we have been covering and will continue to cover that people embrace are all braced in fear. They, they go after these things in fear because they lack the faith. So instead of looking to God and say, whatever your will is in my life, I am instead going to say, I believe I can make myself rich. Or I believe I can make myself uh, uh, healthy and void of cancer. And I believe I have the faith to get God to do my will on earth rather than standing in a place of faith and saying, God, I want your will to be done. Let me be a man or a woman who can accept it. So uh, biblical Christianity is certainly believers saying, God, your will be done. I will follow it. 
Uh, if it's bad, give me the strength to maintain faith. If it's good, give me the strength to maintain humility and go like that. But the stuff that we've been talking about comes from a different place. Before we get into it, a couple email follows up from, uh, got an email from someone who doesn't give their name that typically tells me I know who they are. They'll say like a heart of the matter fan and uh, it means they don't want me to know that it's them. Uh, so I'm going to read what it says, and I'll just give my responses as we go through it. It says, hey, I've been watching Heart of the Matter for years. I love the program. I'm so happy to see you doing these new episodes. I think that it's great that you go after issues in evangelicalism. So there's the stroke part of the email, the stroke and stab. So here comes the other part. I'm curious to know if you are familiar that other apologists do the same thing uh, as you're doing, Chris Rosenbro, uh, Fighting the Faith, Todd Friel, Wretched Radio. I am familiar uh, with these guys, and frankly, uh, they are very adept at what they're doing. I am muddling my way through this expose on uh, issues in evangelicalism. But let me explain why we're doing it. This is important. Our ministry is first and foremost, and always will be, to the LDS. Okay? So we have a vast archive of 350, 370 hour-long shows on our website, all of them speaking to LDS things. And then you know what we saw last year, so I said, listen, we're going to go, we're going to help the LDS see what to look for when they leave Mormonism and look for a Christian church. What we're doing here is to help our efforts toward the LDS. It's also to bring to light anybody else who doesn't know about it and happens to tune in. But you see, we have LDS people and people who are interested in Mormonism coming to our site. And so we want to be able to provide some programs for them that they can say, well, what is it about this faith healing that we see? And what is it about uh, 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 handling snakes? Or what is it about Calvinism or these other things? What, what do they have to say about that? That's why we are doing it. And uh, we want to have an in-house place for people who are interested in Mormonism to be able to come and see what's going on in the Christian worldview. All right, additionally, we have taken this course this year alone to prove to our LDS people, friends, family out there that we aren't completely only against them. That is the common thing. Why do you only pick on us? Why do you only pick on us? I want to show them my, uh, my attitude and cynicism is spread all over the place. It goes in every direction. It's not just, but see, I knew Mormonism and I could speak to Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. So that's what we did. Well, I've been in evangelical Christianity long enough. I can speak to it relative to the Bible now with some, some, um, certainty. And so we are doing that so we can show when we go back to Mormonism to say, listen, we, where truth is, we want to support it. Where it's not, we want to go after it. So the mystery writer continues, uh, the, the pastors who got us off TV 20 failed to see this connection. All they saw was going after Christianity, get him off, and the rally cry began. But they didn't take the time to see what the full thinking was behind it. All right, he goes on, the, or she, the reason I'm right is because I want to petition you to deal with the best the other side, talking about evangelical Christianity, has to offer. For example, if you're really going to attack Calvinism, I really think that you should get James White on the program, and if you can't get James White, Michael Horton, if you can't get, get Michael Horton, there's a ton of informed Calvinists out there who would be happy to do a phone interview or maybe even sit and talk with you in purpose. A person, the writer goes on saying, the reason that I say this is because I've seen Calvinism and many other doctrines misrepresented so many times by people who have been fed misinformation. I don't think that this is the proper way to do apologetics. 
I don't think that God is glorified in this way, and I don't think that you will reach any informed Calvinists, Pentecostals, etc., etc., if you do, don't interact with what their position really is. So, how do I respond to this? Um, the writer seems to be inferring that I'm not going to properly articulate Calvinism. That's probably true. I may miss some of the things. Uh, so I better appeal to other men who can come and explain Calvinism better than I can. Uh, do I need to have a PhD in systematic theology in order to address criticisms that are within the body of Calvinism? Uh, in other words, am I capable of saying there is limited atonement or there's not? Am I able as a reader of the Bible to say this is why I say there is no such thing as limited atonement and one of the uh, points of Calvinism is incorrect? Uh, or do I need to have somebody come on and say, limited atonement means and extrapolate out all these different configurations that it takes a PhD in theology to, to, to get to understand what Calvin really meant when really all it is is they say Jesus did not suffer for all the sins of, of the world. I say he did. We don't need a PhD to come up here and prove their point. And so that, 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 I guess it's the best way I can say how we're going to approach this thing. Listen, any ism, any ism, Mormonism, Calvinism, Hinduism, communism, uh, Catholicism, is God trying to put, is man trying to put God in a box? That we want certainty, we want to have all the answers, and so we go out and we form isms. And that way we have all the answers that we can spew back out to people and feel like we really get it. You don't, I don't, none of us get God completely. We can try to know him through his word. He reveals himself to us the longer and deeper that we go. He wants that relationship, but there's no way. So anytime something comes up and tries to box him in, I'm going to try to show that is just not, that's not possible. Use the Bible to test everything I say, to challenge everything I say. Use it, research it, look at it, read it, and, but leave all the ideas of men and their isms uh, where they belong in boxes that, you know, they're going to be six feet under at some point in time, and that's, you know, where they'll remain. Okay. Regarding faith healing, we received a few emails on the subject, some phone calls. First of all, some people have wondered what's happened with the faith healer that I challenged to prove that he, uh, that Jesus through him healed two women who were blind here in Salt Lake City last year, and he said in front of an audience, I will give you that proof. I have called him and called him uh, twice today, in fact. Nothing yet. Don't know why, but uh, we're waiting for it. Then we received an email from longtime supporter Laura, and she says, listen, Sean, there's something you're neglecting to, to say, and that is healings can occur uh, through these faith healers. But she says that often comes through the power of darkness to do them. Uh, this is what she says. I was dying to call in last week. Will you be taking calls at some point in your format? Yes, tonight we'll be taking calls. And uh, she says, I wanted to bring up the fact that some faith healing is done with supernatural power, that is of the devil himself. She goes on, says, there's a woman called Joanna Michelson who, although now a saved sister in Christ, was involved in faith healing in Mexico that was done through demonic means. She has a powerful ministry now warning any and all who will listen about the danger and creeping influence of the occult in our culture. Below is a YouTube link to a talk she gave. I think we're gonna put that up on the screen. Um, the address, some... We don't have it? 
Okay. Uh, well, it'll come up. And it, it, her first book is titled The Beautiful Side of Evil. And uh, her second book is called Like Lambs to the Slaughter. This is a woman who is involved in how the dark side. Now, listen, what Laura mentions here uh, is a fact, absolute fact, biblical fact. Healings can take place by and through the power of darkness. Uh, and this is another problem with centering, putting a lot of focus on those people who are able to even do uh, real healings if they're able to prove it. Last week I was like, I want to see some proof of a real healing. But if someone's able to do it, we still have to step back and look at it. Remember Jesus said that the time will come when many will say, we talk about this all the time, Lord, Lord. And they will say, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then he will profess to them and say I never knew you depart from me you that work iniquity that's from Matthew 7 then look back to the Old Testament remember Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh I, it's always intrigued me it says and Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so as the Lord had commanded and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent I remember that movie intrigued me and then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man's rod and they became servants, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods in Exodus 7. Remember what Satan said to Jesus when they were in the wilderness and he was tempting him. Satan said to the Lord, and Jesus did not refute this. He didn't say, Satan, this is not true. Satan said to Jesus, all this power I will give you and the glory of them. Listen, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. Satan said, I have a power. All of this power I'll give to you uh, if you just agree with me and go along with the program. Uh, and Jesus didn't dispute him on that. And then listen to how Jesus, through John the Revelator, describes the false prophet and the Antichrist in the last day. You ready? Revelation 13, 13. And he, talking about the false prophet, I believe, does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth. Listen, by the means of those miracles, which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast. And it goes on and on and talks more and more in context. And then in Revelation 16, 14, it goes on and Jesus says, for they are the spirit of devils working miracles, it says, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. What's the bottom line? How can a believer tell what's a con and uh, what is deception of Satan and which healings are to the glory of God? How are we to know with all this stuff out there? We take the word of God contextually. We read what it says. We see what is done and we can tell by that means, that's how. So for example, I would never ever be impressed with a faith healer who can raise the dead, can take a dead person and raise the dead, but who also teaches contrary to other parts of the word. Which takes precedent? The fact that they can raise the dead or the fact that they uh, 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 are against the word of God? Okay, uh, I would, if, if Billy uh, Bob Barfunkel uh, literally took a person who had been decapitated in front of me, all right, 
been decapitated and says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I put this head back on this person and does it. But then follows up by saying, but the Lord Jesus is not who he said he was. I am, or he was not resurrected, or we're not saved by uh, grace. Uh, we are saved by works or anything like that. I will care that the head is back on the body and moving. That doesn't matter. What matters is, uh, is the person in with God who's doing the miracles? We test the, uh, by all things by the word. So, uh, and, and let's say there's a faith healer who is paid for healing people, okay? I would run from that person, run from them. Why? Well, ask yourself, what's the biblical precedent? Jesus, when he healed, the apostles, when he healed, were they ever offered money? Sure, they were offered money. Did they ever take money for healing somebody, doing God's work in his name and bringing somebody to wholeness? They would never take money for that, for that purpose. Um, in the Old Testament, there's a great story that supports this as well. Remember, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, a man named Nahum, uh, Naaman was, uh, went to the prophet Elisha and he had leprosy. And after reluctantly dipping in the Jordan seven times, Naaman was healed and he comes to a Elijah, and this is what he says. Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. That means let me pay you. But he, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he, Naaman, urged him to take it. But he, Elisha, refused. That's in 2 King 5, 15, 16. So by the word, we can see if someone is doing miracles, if they're doing them really, do they receive compensation for bringing somebody to health? Never. They don't do that. All right. Interestingly enough, uh, one of Elisha's servants ran off and secretly took the reward that, was, uh, that Na uh, Naaman tried to give. And uh, the leprosy that was on uh, Naaman then came upon the, the servant. So in my opinion, getting rich, doing the miracles of God, healing, or even the miracles of Satan is a great warning sign uh, uh, to also tell you something's wrong. When money and healing meet up and they date and then they marry, they have a little bastard child and uh, it's called prosperity theology. And uh, that little child is our topic for tonight. So let's pray because we're going to need it. And then we'll open up the phone lines. Lord, we need you. We seek truth. The, uh, we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that you will help us to discern both. Uh, we pray your spirit upon our volunteers, our staff, those who give of their time, those who pray, uh, those who serve, those who love you, and those who are seeking for truth. We pray that eyes will open. We pray that the uh, uh, people who do not know you yet will, and uh, that you will pour out your spirit upon those who truly seek. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think the best way to teach about uh, prosperity theology, prosperity teachings, is to sketch out how it kind of came about. I'm only gonna discuss prosperity teachings relative to Christianity, even though I'm well aware that uh, prosperity teaching is nothing new in the scope of secular history. There have always been people who have come along and, and said, you know, uh, you can bring about your own will 
through your own thoughts and your own thinking and bring about the, 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 what you want. Snake oil salesmen, mesmerizers, uh, self-esteem movements, which, were, which have been huge, they come and go. Um, positive mental attitude people, uh, the secret, the law of attraction. All of this stuff is another way to say prosperity teaching in a nutshell, proper receptacle. Uh, all from the same tree, nourished by the same roots, watered by the same polluted water, and, uh, and, and warmed by the same black hole sun. Okay, so uh, allow me to sort of draw a general picture of what prosperity teachings are about. Um, it's better understood as prosperity theology, also known as things like name it and claim it, uh, and then the uh, funny term uh, blab it and grab it. They call it the prosperity gospel, which is interesting. They call it the health and wealth gospel, the health and wealth movement, health and wealth. And generally speaking, it relates to Christian finances, materialism, uh, and how to acquire these things by teaching that financial blessings for Christians are just waiting. That God wants all Christians, maybe all people, to be completely healthy, and God wants all people to be wealthy. Not just have enough for their means, wealthy. Healthy and wealthy, and that's where it gets its name. Additionally, they say this comes by faith, number one, by positive speech. You never say negative things. You speak into existence the things that you want. And then also through donations to Christian ministries, which is a form of planting a seed of faith, which God will then prosper to you and it will return to you in multifold. These principles are applied to the health of a person too. So you have faith that you will be healed. You speak only positively that you have the healing. And then you give financially the seed and it will come back to you in this way. So let's say that you're missing an eye, okay? You're missing, the, you're missing your vision globe. And, and, and so first, you gotta have faith that the globe is going to be present in your body. You have to believe that God is going to supernaturally Put a vision globe back in your head. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is you speak positively about the vision globe. So what you say is, uh, uh, you never say, I'm missing a globe. You say, it's there. Do you see it? You see, it's there. Even though it's not there, you don't speak negatively. You speak positively about the vision globe being present in your head. So you can see with both globes, you see. And, uh, and, and you say, don't you like my vision globe? It's blue and pretty, don't you think? And you look at it and there's nothing there because you're dealing with reality and they're dealing with only positive statements, okay? And then you have to give the price of that globe to the ministry. And if you do it, God will give you the funds to, 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 to be able to make your ends meet. And then you wake up the next morning and you have a glorious globe. See it fluttering? It's all pretty. And that's how, that's how it works. It's all done through your positive mental attitude. And so they say that about, we've talked about about teeth. You're missing teeth? Don't say I'm missing teeth. Say, look at my brand new set of teeth. I have a brand new set. And you look in the person's mouth, there's nothing there because they're speaking positively and that's going to bring it to fruition. 
Also, there are periphery applications to prosperity theology. It's known as word of faith. They're known as uh, word of knowledge and word of wisdom, lines taken from scripture. In essence, in my opinion, they all stem from the same place, but they're very, very different from a contextual understanding of the New Testament. And they lead to some, some real sad stories and situations. And again, they are there because people lacking faith in God to, who might say, I'm not going to give you an eye. And God who says, I'm not going to give you a new set of teeth. If you want those, you go out and get a job. You might have to earn them and get some dentures, but I'm not going to miraculously put a new set of teeth in your mouth. And they don't want to deal with that reality. So they live thinking that they are going to be able to produce this, whether God wants it or not. Bottom line, it's all the power of man. It's what men say lies within them as really God's in embryo. And, uh, uh, not in total faith in what God chooses. Just like in Mormonism, the biblical supports for these are selectively chosen out of context. They, they cite specific passages, but uh, the context is lost. And they also use a boatload of promises God gave to the nation of Israel, just between him and Israel, and they apply it to uh, the Christian church today. Another common element in these teachings is the fact that they will take... Uh, um, well, before we go on to this garbage and how it started out, see if you can hear what the, the, the uh, tenor and the attitude is from some of the biggest proponents of prosperity gospel. So let's go to some quotes. Creflo Dollar said, keep saying it. I have equality with God. I have equality with God. Talk yourself into it. Again, there's some, there's some truth to that in through Christ Jesus, but not equality with God. We are sinful human beings. So they mix some truth with something. But Creflo Dollars is, listen, you are God. You have equality with him. You can speak into existence the thing that you want, just like God spoke into existence the universe. John Hagee said, John 1.38 says, Jesus turned to those who were following and said, come with me. And they said, where dwellest thou? He said, come and see. And Jesus took the crowd home with him to stay in his house. That meant it was a big house, meaning Jesus was wealthy. Jesus had a big old spread. It could hold a whole bunch of people. That's the inference from Mr. John Hagee. Benny Hinn said, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the, power, the Holy Spirit is a power or force. That may be true. It can be harnessed, harnessed, Jesus said it goes where it wants. It can be harnessed and used by the believer at will through faith. There's will, that Schopenhauer will he's talking about. He says, sometimes I wish I had a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'd blow your head off. Oh man, uh, there's Benny Hinn's uh, wonderful insights. Kenneth Copeland says human beings are little gods to quote Kenneth Copeland, because they build upon this idea that God is, you are God. He says, when I read the Bible where it says, I am, Jesus speaking, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. That's what Mr. Copeland spouts to people. And speaking of Jesus dying on the cross and defeating Satan, Copeland also said, oh yeah, he's speaking of what Jesus did. If you had the knowledge of the word of God that he did, you could have done the same thing. That's what's being preached from these people. 
if you had the knowledge of the word of God that he did, you could have done the same thing. I don't see in any way, shape, or form that lifting up the Lord in homage, in, in humble worship, in adoration, in gratitude. I see it as arrogance. I see it as men putting them, them, themselves in the place of God and thinking that they can get their will done here on earth in spite of what God's will is. Another word of faith genius, Robert Tilton said, a human can tell God what to do. We can make any commitment or promise to him we want. Then we can tell God on the authority of his word that we would like what we would like him to do. That's right. You can actually tell God what you would like his part of the covenant to be. It's amazing. It's amazing the stance. Norville Hayes added this bit of wisdom. Listen closely. If you depend on faith, you don't need to ask God. Do you have financial mountain in your life? Start talking to your money. Tell your checkbook to line up with the word of God. Stop talking to Jesus about it. Stop talking to anyone else about it. Speak to the mountain itself. You're having financial problems. He says you have the power because the word is, the power is in your word for you to look into your wallet and speak to that money and say, grow. And if you do that, that power will multiply that money. And these people lacking faith in God and his decisions for their life, they go and they resort to this type of stuff. Kenneth Hagin gave us this, Jim. Listen, it's unscriptural to say in our prayers, if it is the will of God, when you put an if in your prayer, you are praying in doubt. I want to remind Mr. Hagen, who I think is dead now, uh, that Jesus said when he prayed, Father, if thou will be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So there are some general attitudes the health and wealth and prosperity teachings produce it's really about personal empowerment and it's about prosperity and about man putting himself in a position by the faith he exhibits to garner prosperity in all areas of life because according to them, God wants everybody to be wealthy and God wants everybody to be healthy. I would suggest that's not true. There's a man who was born blind in scripture and they came to Jesus and they said in John chapter eight, why is this man born blind? And uh, he says he was born blind so the glory of God could be manifested. It was God's will for that man up until an adult age to walk around and suffer in blindness. I mean, God's ways are far beyond us. He's dealing with freedom. He's dealing with a fallen world. God's will may be very well be that you do not become wealthy. I, I, I personally believe in my life, God does not want me to become wealthy. I think that if I became wealthy, I would lose my drive and passion to share him. I'd become fatter than I already am and I'd be sitting on a, in a bigger truck that has cushier seats and I'd think all is well in Zion and whatever. So he keeps you on edge. For some people that's necessary. For other people, he blesses them because he does want them to have wealth. They can handle it or, and, and, or he, he tries them with it. But to categorically say he wants all to be wealthy and all to be healthy completely ignores his providence and his sovereignty. So really quickly, where did all this bullfish begin? Uh, I would suggest, uh, though I haven't read this, but this is my opinion, that it officially, the prosperity movement began um, with an improper application, an accepted application of speaking in tongues in churches. 
way back in the day, somebody got the novel idea, totally out of context with what scripture says, that if people have enough faith, they can speak in tongues. And so they started doing it without interpreters. And even though Paul says, I'd rather have 10,000 other words in my known tongue be spoken, and tongues has a real biblical setting, uh, churches started getting around that and started thinking, if you want to show you are a person of faith, you've got to let the Holy Spirit speak. And that took place. And then they started saying, if you want to prove you've been saved, you've got to speak in tongues. I believe, can't prove it, but I believe that was the genesis of this, this movement. From there, we got into uh, uh, healings. And we're going to get to that next week and pick up all the other quotes and things I think we already have ready uh, with the history of the prosperity movement. But right now we're going to take a call and we're going to give our first caller, Sarah in Harrison, Idaho. We're going to give her a chance to be on the first. Sarah, are you there? Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. That's just an alien who's taken over the body of one of our, I'm just kidding, total joke. Uh, we're going to get that fixed. Sarah, what's your comment or question? Can you hear me? Can you, can you hear me? Sarah. Do we have anybody else? Okay, well, Sarah, we appreciate your valor and courage. Try back, maybe hang up and try back again. We'll work this out. This is our first time trying. It's not an easy deal. She was just tr translated. Okay, well, let me just continue on. Uh, we'll get to tongues in a future date, but once speaking in tongues was inappropriately accepted and being used unbiblically, the, it didn't take long for these groups to start incorporating other elements, other expectations and attitudes into their services. The entire faith healing revivals of the 1950s where deliverance and miracle healings were the primary focus pocus of their gatherings happened by groups that were already doing the big time focus on babblings and showing people had faith to do that. Again, I would strongly suggest, not because I can prove it, that the Christian faith healers were able to see an exuberant response from people who really wanted to step out in faith and were willing to do these things that they could possibly uh, move into physical healings with them, which they did. And then through supernatural means, that's a huge word in, in these groups, supernatural. They repeat it. They use it constantly. Of course, things are supernatural when God's involved, but they overuse that term. And then making money uh, became a natural follow-up uh, and they began to prey on people. And that's P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. And before anyone could say Jesus, it all sort of morphed into this ugly chimera. And a chimera is a three-headed monster. And that chimera consisted of deliverance from evil, addictions, problems, porn addictions, deliverance. People would bring their kids to be delivered at these charismatic meetings and to be healed from physical ailments. My back hurts, arthritis, diabetes, the missing eye, and then to prosperity teaching. And that ugly monster of those three things just kind of morphed and began to take life. Um, 
Combining prosperity teaching with revivalism and faith healing, these evangelists taught that the laws of faith, ask and you shall receive, they'll take scripture and they'll just apply it like that, ask and you shall receive, and uh, the laws of divine reciprocity, give and it will be given back to you. They take those lines and they say, uh, they pitch it out and they promote it and then they gather in for it. And it wasn't until 1947 that good old Oral Roberts began promoting what we call prosperity theology. At first, he taught that the laws of faith were called a blessing pact. You would do something and it was a blessing pact, kind of like the Old Testament. The Jews, if they, did, if they were obedient, they were blessed. If they were disobedient, they were cursed. The Mormons teach the same things. It's an Old Testament construct. But when Jesus came, he said, you will follow me and people will hate you and people will mistreat you and, people, and, and blessed are you for these things. And he said, you won't have anywhere to lay your head. He, he gave all kinds of examples of how you're gonna suffer. He told his 12 and, and afterward, we look in history, everybody suffered. They suffered terribly. They weren't blessed with riches. They weren't blessed with health and wealth. They were blessed with being scourged and put to death. That is what Jesus promised. And so the Jews who were used to obedience and blessing said, why do we want anything to do with this gospel? You know. So these guys have come back in and they have said, we're gonna take from the funner things and we're gonna try to say, you can have an easy life. And I gotta tell you, that's not part of the Christian gospel. It's just not, all right? So good old Oral Roberts started teaching prosperity teaching and he said God would return donations, given to him, of course, sevenfold. This happened back in the 1940s. And, um, and the LDS used the same premise on tithing. They don't use a sevenfold thing. I've never heard that, but they will say when you step out in faith and give to the church, the Lord will give back to you uh, financially. Really, it's, it's a financial type of thing. And the Lord may do that. He may be operating with these people off those principles that he did in the Old Testament. I'm not saying he doesn't. But what I am saying is that's not Christianity. Christianity is you can give and you might not get anything back. And you might, you might not be able to pay your bill if you decide to do that. Or, or you might live, uh, never smoke or drink in a day in your life. As a Christian, you might get cancer and die in early age. That is how the Christian, because your blessings are in heaven. Your blessings are waiting there. They are not here. So if you are relying on this type of stuff, you might find yourself sorely surprised when you die. So it's one of the reasons I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, troubled by the term tithing, which we'll be getting into in, the, in this course talking about money to begin with. So in the 1970s, Oral Roberts renamed his blessing pack teaching to seed faith doctrine. And that's where guys like Michael Murdoch today, they get this plant a seed. You hear it on TV all the time. That's where it came from. In 1953, a faith healer, named A.A. Uh, a. Allen, triple A's, he uh, published a book called The Secret to Scriptural Financial Success. And he began promoting uh, uh, these uh, selling tent shavings, shavings from tent revivals to people and pieces of, of uh, cloth that were anointed with holy oil that would heal them if they would touch them. That was what was hanging on my grandma's refrigerator when I used to visit her and talked about that a few weeks back. But by the late 1950s, Alan began to uh, see that there was a better racket in prosperity teaching and he started to focus on money, money, money. He taught that faith could miraculously solve all financial prob problems and claimed to have a miraculous experiences where he would look in his wallet and ones would miraculously transform themselves into 20s to help him meet his, his goals. This stuff is still taught from the pulpit. All right, we're gonna pause there for a second.
And uh, we are going to see if we can take on line two, line three, Sarah from Harrison, Idaho. Sarah, you want to try it again? Sarah, can you hear me? Hello? Sarah. I can barely hear you. Can you hear me? Hello? Sarah. I could, I can. Speak. Good. That's a, that's a victory. We've just landed on the moon. One small step for mankind. One giant step for Aletheia Ministries. Sarah, what's going on? Hey, I just had a question. Yeah. I, I love your show. I've been a Christian my whole life. Um, I actually moved from Salt Lake City to Idaho. But um, I just had a question about Yeah. And what do you think about that? I, I, uh, I personally don't, don't listen to nor understand or relate to Christian music. So they would criticize me as well. I know a lot of people who do. They benefit by it. They love it. It, it, it enhances their, their walk in life. I do have some problems with the term Christian music. Again, I think we're trying to box in the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit when we call this music Christian and this music not. To me, Christian music is going to be the Word of God put to music. I don't, uh, you know, uh, I, but, but that's me, you know. And I realize that there's a lot of Christians who want to express themselves through the arts. And if there's a vehicle for it, fine. The problem with it is when you are on the brunt end of not participating, because it's like indicative of you not being a great Christian. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, you know, culture is culture. That's why the first show we did uh, on the show talks about culture. Christianity really shouldn't embrace a culture. It shouldn't create its own. It should embrace all cultures as a means to share the gospel within the cultures that have been established in the secular world. When we establish our own, there's expectations for you to com uh, comply with it, even though it's not biblical. So I agree with you, and, uh, it, it, but it's part of the fallen world. I know people who are involved in all those arts. They, they're trying to do it in a godly way, and they're trying to do it for the glory of God, but it can quickly become nothing more than you know, a business and a, a rock concert. Right. Let me ask you this. Do you read the Christian book? What's that? Do you read the Christian book? The only one that matters? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, well, you know, don't worry about it. I, I'm a lover of, of all books, all literature. 
and, and uh, that, all that knowledge God will use. So don't let, it's really tough. Don't let you, people push you into that, this narrow uh, area that you have to conform to because that's what's demanded of you. If you appreciate Christian books, they uplift you, they, they draw you to God, read them, fine. But if you don't, you just, you just put your face into the wind and walk toward the king. And then lastly, I'm going to tell you that a lot of times when I'm arguing with people about that, they'll use the verse, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Yeah. Just to avoid all sins of evil, as if anything that's not labeled Christian must be evil. And I just don't think that really works, because just because something hasn't been labeled by the media or yeah, it's really a, an amazing dichotomy, uh, Sarah, isn't it? Because the scripture says, avoid all appearance of evil, and yet millions and millions and millions of Christians would willingly accept Benny Hinn and these other guys up there telling them that God is going to multiply their seed money sevenfold, they promise, and they do it in God's name, and no one says, avoid that, that no one comments that, but they'll tell you, you can't listen to uh, Fleetwood Mac singing a love song. The evil that the Bible is talking about is avoid the things that are going to diminish your faith and your love, your faith and your love. If there's something that God has on this life, I mean, there are people who say you gotta be in a four-walled church to be pleasing to God. You can go out into nature and, 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 and honor and worship God just as much. So all this stuff are means and ways for people to try to feel order and security in this world that's so mixed up. We want to belong. Read, uh, you know, there's some great books out there. Hoffer's book, which is very acerbic, but Hoffer wrote a book. Um, uh, I can't remember it right now. Um, but it's a great book that talks about our need to want to belong and group together so that we can feel powerful. And we do that through culture and we do that through expressions. You want to belong to that, fine, no complaint. But if you don't, you stick to your guns. And that is not the appearance of evil. The appearance of evil has to do with faithlessness and not loving. True believer, true believer. Someone from the audience just said that. Excellent, thank you. Well, thanks for calling, being our first caller on Heart of the Matter from the Factory Studios in Salt Lake City. You're the first one! We're going to send you a Metallica shirt just for doing Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Okay, God bless. We're going to try going to Rick uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Line two, sorry. Line two, repeat what caller says so all can hear. Okay, that's going to be a task. <laughs> Are we going to line two? The professionalism in this place is stunning. It starts with the host. Hey, Vic, in Nashville, Tennessee, we're coming to you. Uh, wait, it's Rick on line two in Salt Lake. We, we're going to line one. Vic! Yeah, hey, how you doing? You're caller number two! Yeah! Oh my gosh. Because I started out with Christianity years ago, 
and with Ray Southern Baptist, got into the charismatism, and actually was taught, now listen to this, I was taught how to speak in tongues in the back office of a charismatic church in the 1980s. I just left the Baptist church, and they, and they, and they said, okay, you're going to fill the spirit, but we're going to take you back here. There were a couple other people back there in the hot room, and they said, repeat after me, you know, this little phrase, like, I untie my bow tie, I tie my bow tie, just keep going. And, and I started saying it, and they're going, yeah, you got it, you got it. Oh, I'm sorry. Lord, if I'm off on this, you might as well just strike me dead now. You know, I believe in, in tongues. I do. It's biblical, but I know what he's saying. You got to be kidding. Teaching somebody how to do it? No, you, you go, shalakala. That's how you say it. Not shalakala. Shalakala. Okay, that's better. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. And they call it a prayer language. Yeah. Amen. An interpretation of tongues, but it's done properly and in order is the key. Yeah. Are you there? Hello? Yeah, I, can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Oh, oh, so I agree with you. It's a great point. We're really having some difficulty. We'll work it out. Any final thoughts? Well, yeah, uh, I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, I got into Mormonism for 12 years and just recently got out of it. And I've, I've listened to 338 of your hour-long broadcasts, and it's really speaking to my heart and helping me to re reconfigulate back to Christianity. And I think what you're doing now, I think there's a reason for everything. I think there's a reason you were, quote, kicked off the other station. Oh, the reason is is because of what I'm doing now. And, uh, you know, bottom line, I, I stuck my neck out to do it, and maybe foolishly, I don't know, maybe the Lord was behind it. So, but we have grown and uh, changed, and we're, we have some new liberty, and things are exciting. So I think God was behind it. You can't believe the amount of people in the audience who are missing eyes and, and, and teeth, and they don't have any expectation of seeing them filled in. I'm just kidding you. Hey, really great to meet you, my brother. Look forward to meeting you in person. All right, me too, Sean. Have a good one. Love you, man. Love you too. God bless. Uh, we're going on line two, Rivera in South Carolina. Rivera, you are on Heart of the Matter. Matter. Rivera? Yes, sir, I hear you. Oh, good. You're on the air. Yeah, I hope I'm not too loud. No, you're fine. Okay. Uh, I've been uh, listening to your... I've been listening to your live streaming for about three weeks, and you're touching on a lot of topics that is the, is the same as stepping on people's toes, and I enjoy it. <laughs> like, for instance, when you touch on how so many different things have been put into the gospel, the good news, that look like it's pointing to Christ, but it's not. Those are things that we have to realize are distracting us from the only person that can do those things himself and the only person that can see 
And that is the main focus. The main focus of Christianity. Can someone translate for me? Mary? Uh, it must be. We are having some real technical difficulty, Rivera. I really appreciate your willingness to be uh, on the air and deal with us right now. This is not an easy thing. Uh, we have really, uh, but we're going to try Bobby and Tuila. Rivera, try again next week. Bobby and Tuila, line one. Let's give it a go. Bobby. Can you hear me? All right. Speak clearly, quickly, and say your comment or question. No comment. I mean, if we're going to look at the Bible, Jesus told his apostles, uh, you know, get carry swords with you now as you travel because it was a very tough area. And uh, they excitedly came to him with several. He said, it's enough. It's enough. Uh, you know, in this day and age, if you're going to carry a weapon, Utah has a law that allows you to carry a concealed weapon if you have a license. Uh, if it's the law and it allows it, whatever. Uh, it's of this world. Uh, I don't really have a comment on it. I'm sorry. And... Uh, I hope you'll forgive me for my inarticulation. All right, we're going to wrap this up with a couple quotes for you to think on as we come back to it next week. We'll work our phone lines on. Be patient with us. Please pray for us. We need your prayers. And we need you to tell your friends about the program so we can keep it rolling and it can grow and people can understand and more lives can be affected. Tell them about the archives. You can spend, like people are saying, you can spend hours watching different things. Select. I want to know about baptism. I want to know about priesthood. I want to know about Adam. What do the Mormons say about this? Or look to these shows. We've got eight in the can now that talk about different subjects. It's all there for you to use for free at hotm.tv. Check it out. Also, if you're in the Salt Lake area, go to www.campus with hyphens between each letter, c-a-on.com, campus-dot-com. And uh, check out when we're going to have our grand opening May 5th Sunday of our first campus service, 10 a.m. and 2.30. It's uh, never denominational. Read through the passages. 10, we're going to start in John. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And in uh, the afternoon, 2.30, we're going to start in Hebrews. Uh, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto a uh, man by the prophets. So we're going to cover Hebrews and John. If you're interested, come check it out. And if you go to another church, that's fine. You're welcome to come and just learn from the Bible study, fellowship with like-minded believers. There's a, a graphic on where we are, etc. Let me wrap it up with these, and we'll come back next week and talk about this. Frederick G. Price said, if we can get to these graphics, the Bible says that Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That's the reason I drive a Rolls Royce. Joel Osteen says, the moment you speak something out, you give birth to it. This is a spiritual principle and it works whether you are saying, whether what you are saying is good or bad, positive or negative. It plays into the thing that the words have to always and only be positive. 
We read in Ecclesiastes, we read in different places, David was sorrowful. The Lord Jesus was sorrowful. Depression and being down sometimes is part of the human experience. We go to God with those things. We don't put on a blinking smiley face and just talk about positive things all the time. That's not Christianity. It's not real. Life is tough. Take it to your God and King. See how he handles it for you. John Hagee said, Jesus had a seamless robe so valuable the Roman soldiers gambled for it at the cross. It was a designer robe. <laughs> John and Joel Osteen said, you were born to win. You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life and abundance. He wants you to live in abundance. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. That's true. God is turning things around in your favor. Joyce Myers, when asked and talking about the relationship of Christian suffering, actually said, who would want to get in on something where you're miserable, poor, broke, and ugly, and you have to just muddle through it until you get to heaven? End quote. I would. Because in heaven waits our reward, and this is what was promised. We are going to muddle. It will be tough. But we have the word of God, and we have a king who came and did it before us. Look at his example. See what he suffered and endured. Look at his apostles. Don't look at men and women in expensive clothes and glamorous sets. Look at the Bible and read what they did before us. Get hope in that. We cannot imagine what waits for those who are faithful, to those who believe, for those who love. We love you. Uh, come in next week, Tuesday, 8 o'clock Mountain Time, and we'll give this another go here on Heart of the Matter. Good dress rehearsal.